0: Well, good morning, everybody. John writes in the book of Revelation, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard That's the final hope and anticipation of the Christian gospel, the final rest as it's referred to in the book of the Hebrews. That's what we're going to be thinking about today. So uh, welcome to this pre-recorded meeting for Calvary Evangelical Church in Brighton here, recorded for the 30th of August 2020. Still not able to meet together, but we hope we'll be able to make some progress before too long. I'll say the usual brief introduction for those who are tuning in for the first time. We are uh, here in Brighton, Sussex, UK, south coast of England. We are a group of people who believe in Jesus Christ and who've been saved by his grace and for his praise and honour. Uh, there's usually 70 or 80 of us meet in what we remember as being normal times, uh, and we're from all sorts of different countries and backgrounds. Uh, but the Lord has brought us together. My name's Philip Wells. I'm one of a team of elders here at Calvary. I'm leading this morning. Other notices will be um, uh, circulated in in the usual way. So uh, welcome to you. um, If you're regular or if you've just dropped in, I'm going to uh, click and show what's happening in the rest of today the rest of this morning rather. So we're going to do the things that we usually do when we meet together. Uh, Sing, uh, pray, read the Bible and uh, have a talk on the things in the Bible. I'm going to split it into two today. Our subject is the letter to the Hebrews but more of that later. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that as we draw near to God, that you would draw near to us. May we hear your voice today and know the touch of God upon our lives. Please don't let us be distracted or indifferent as we have this time together, but may we truly meet with you and not go away unchanged. May we so meet with you and so respond to your word that we do indeed arrive safely in your final rest. For Jesus' sake. Amen. We're going to sing, actually, as we have sung on previous occasions, from Psalm 95. It's the foundation of the text that we're still looking at. Uh, It talks about today, so it was relevant uh, when today was last week, and it's relevant when today is today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. It begins with this heartfelt praise Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, the mountain peaks belong to him, the sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Uh, So we're going to have Psalm 95,
1: Psalm 95. and taste the
0: son, we're going to pray together. And uh, to bring us into prayer, I put on the screen this confession. It's somewhat like the confession in the Anglican prayer book. So as we come to pray, I'd invite us to say together out loud these words of confession, and then move into a prayer of adoration. Let us pray. Almighty and most merciful Father, We have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. We humbly ask you for forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, please send your Holy Spirit into our hearts with fresh power as we offer ourselves again totally in your service today. Make us more the people you want us to be. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. And let's bring our worship to God in as we continue in prayer. We bring our worship to you, almighty God. We honour you as majestic creator of the universe, as expressed in your creation, bigger, deeper, more wise, more detailed, more immense, more caring and loving than we can fathom. We praise and honour the Father, from whom all things flow, the source of all life and light and wisdom and holiness. We honour the Father who in love planned the salvation of us sinners and chose before the foundation of the world to bring that plan into perfect effect in time and space. And the Father who will do all things for the praise of his glorious grace. We praise and honour the Son through whom and for whom are all things the exact expression of the Father, worthy of no less honour and worship, the one who took human flesh, walked this earth, endured the contradiction of sinners and was subject to human condemnation and died on the cross. We honour the Son who was raised from the dead on the third day, ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling all things the Son who will one day return in person and be the judge of all and the one who makes all things new. We praise and thank and honour you. We praise and honour the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father. We praise the one who brooded over the waters in creation, who fills the world with life, who is now given to your people in the new covenant. The one who brings new life, who opens the heart, who brings life to the dead soul, who indwells each believer, who teaches us to pray, teaches us to long for heaven, teaches us to hate sin and love holiness. The one who brings us the presence of the Father and the Son, who brings heaven into us until the day we are brought to heaven. So, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we bring you praise and worship today. And we ask in this world with all its need, uh, with all its trouble and sin and lostness, may your holy name be honoured in hearts and souls throughout the nations. Bring people through the gospel to love you and serve you. And may you have all the praise and honour and glory. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're going to have those two readings from Scripture that we had last time. Uh, Christopher's going to read us from chapter 3, and then uh, Julia will follow on seamlessly, thanks to our video editor. Thus we're going to read chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Hebrews. Thank you, Christopher and Julia.
2: Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house. If we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me, and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation, and I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were not were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom... He was angry for 40 years. Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief.
3: Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest. Just as God has said, So I declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above he says, They shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him, to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need.
0: The reading in Hebrews moves from this very realistic and challenging description of the intensity of the trial of the church before she enters God's rest and it follows on with a a similarly uh, exalted description of the help that the church has uh, in terms of the high priest. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses but one who's been tempted in every way just as we are without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The reading speaks about the great high priest, and we're going to have a song about the great high priest, uh, the one who ever lives and pleads for me. It's number three hundred, sorry, five hundred and three in the book. If you have it, be on the screen before the throne of God above. I have a strong, a perfect plea. (laughs) No. <laughs>
4: To look on him and pardon me To look on him and pardon me
3: Behold
4: him left the risen Lamb
0: And my God. So we're going to think about those scriptures, and we'd have two bites of this cherry uh, today. So in a few minutes, I'd like to try and recap where we are and what we looked at last time, and then uh, after we've sung something else, we'll look again at the text. So let's pray for both those uh, sessions just now. Lord, your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, so please help speaker and hearer alike, and don't let us miss the power and effect of your word. Please let us so hear that none of us misses out on the promised rest. Amen. So let's do a brief recap of uh, where we've got to with uh, the letter to the Hebrews. And I'd particularly like to go over last time, because there's quite a lot in it. So here's the uh, standard introduction. There's one of the people to whom the writer is writing, under pressure. And uh, despite the pressures, we ask this person to hold on, as a sort of holding on, keep on, and to run the race and to get to the end. So there is a path to heaven, there is a way to follow, but at every point there is an alternative beckoning, and the writer says to us, don't be so stupid as to step off the path, like the path in the book and film The Hobbit, the way through Mirkwood, where Gandalf the wizard said to uh, Bilbo the Hobbit, you're safe if you stick to the path, but don't go off the path don't leave the path Bilbo. The letter to the Hebrews is written to a group of people who had started well uh, in a costly way. They had started well but they were now in danger of drifting. They getting sluggish as it says in 6.12 or falling short of the final goal as it says in four one. Be careful that none of you he found, to fall short of it. So the writer tells us that he's writing a a word of exhortation or a message of exhortation. He says it's a short letter. Seems quite long to me. Uh, uh, Exhortation could have these two sides to it, positive promises and encouragements and incentives. This is good, uh, worth going for. And uh, exhortation can also have the negative side. And there are some frightening warnings in this book. Uh, So we we have these warnings that we've just been looking at. therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. And this inevitably raises the question about God's grace and his plans and purposes in election. So does this mean that all the stuff about God's choice of us? and that he will keep his chosen ones so that they certainly arrive in heaven at the end. Is that all wrong? And the answer is no, it's not all wrong. But the certainty of the outcome does not invalidate the means of getting there. That's a quote from um, uh, Professor Gaffin of Westminster Theological Seminary. He's saying that God will certainly bring his people to final salvation, but he will use means uh, like Encouraging them with positive things and warning them with frightening warnings. The certainty of the outcome does not invalidate the means of getting there. So we looked at these chapters and they really just make this point today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And he's addressing it to his readers at that point. Of course, we're reading it at our point in history. And the basis for this is Psalm 95, which was written a long time ago in the time of David. So thinking of this warning, Psalm 95 is the basis for the writer's warning. Uh, He says, verse 7, so NIV says, So, the Greek says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, present tense, the Holy Spirit is speaking through Psalm 95 to us. And you get this uh, remarkable word, today, in verse 7. Today, if you hear his heart, uh, voice, it's in verse 15. Today, if you hear his voice, it's in chapter 4, verse 7. God has set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David. Today, if you hear his voice, and so on. So the basis for this warning, this current relevant present warning is Psalm 95. And we try to uh, delve a little bit into this matter of the time sequence and the different time um, locations that uh, that, uh, that God used, uh, and it's still today. And uh, in fact, he goes on to say, end of chapter four, uh, the word of God, I think particularly meaning this word, but all words in of God it applies to, but in particular, this word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thought and attitudes of our hearts. So this is a living word and it gets right to us and, and, and uh, says today, what are your motives? What are your intentions? Um, what are your thoughts and attitudes in your heart? Psalm 95 is the basis of the warning, and the promise of rest is the subject of the warning. Uh, It's mentioned in verse 11, they shall never enter my rest. It's mentioned in verse 18, they would never enter his rest. It's in 4 verse 1, since the promise of entering his rest still stands. 4 verse 3, we who have believed enter that rest meaning in the future, just as God has said to those people, they shall never enter my rest. Uh, verse 5, they shall never enter my rest. Verse 6, it remains that some will enter that rest. It means that some will enter that rest. Uh, verse, what's the next one? Verse 8, if Joshua had given them rest, uh, it wouldn't have been repeated again later. Uh, another day. Uh, Verse 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest, Uh, using uh, um, the word Sabbath, which means rest. Uh, Maybe it's a word he made up himself, because there's very few examples of this being used, if any. There remains a Sabbath rest. And in verse 10, uh, we enter God's rest. And verse 11, let us make every effort to enter that rest. So the rest is really important. This is the subject. This is what it's all about, entering God's rest. And the point that the psalm is making is that people can have all the promises and all the privileges and even seem to start out well, but still fail and not arrive. And that's the point that uh, Psalm 95 is making. That's the point that the writer's making. So let's just, if we may, uh, I don't want to try your patience on this. But let's just go over again, the sequence of events and the, the over, overview of this. So they were, um, I'm just going back to over the history of Israel, they were in Egypt as slaves. And God said he would redeem them and rescue them. And he made a promise, a good news promise. Verse two, chapter four, verse two, good news was preached to them, as it is to us, that we're in the same boat in this, a promise of entering his rest. And that was the promise that was given, a promised land, in fact. And there's the land with the temple in it and the city, which wasn't there, but it would be later on. And there's the barrier to entering the land. And as they make the journey across the desert, they face the problem of thirst. They And... Faced with that challenge, they fail. They harden their hearts. And that's what it says in the time of testing in the desert at Meribah, the grumbling place. They mistrusted God's provision. They underestimated how good God was. And you remember that Moses uh, hit the rock. He hit it the wrong way, hit it twice. And he was supposed to speak to it. But God provided water in the desert. God knows what we need We must not harden our hearts by entertaining the possibility that he'll let us down on that. And then uh, following the sequence through, they get to the border of the promised land and there the promise was to enter, but they are filled with fear at the report that they get. And uh, again, mistrust and mistrust leads to disobedience and God says, well, you won't enter my rest. And for 40 years, they wandered in the desert. So that line at the bottom there is meant to um, depict the 40 years between leaving Egypt and uh, finally entering the promised land. 40 years marked by testing and trial. In verse uh, chapter 3, verse 8, it's called a day of testing, NIV, NIV translates it time but it's a day of testing Uh, and uh, the day lasts 40 years verse 9 for your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did so 40 years of testing and trial God testing them then testing God and a really intense time at the end of the 40 years Joshua does actually bring them into the promised land and so they do enter. But we then discover that Joshua has not given them rest, because otherwise the psalm wouldn't have been written. If Joshua had given them rest, then God wouldn't be speaking about another day, saying, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And the writer says, actually, this rest is still on offer. And the, the promise of rest goes way beyond the promised land to the distant future, to the world to come. But he says, in order to get there, we must not harden our hearts today. So whatever day you're watching this or listening to this, this is the day not to harden your heart and for me, not to harden my heart. So when it says today, in some remarkable um God way, today means today. So we looked at, so that's just to recap that um, uh, scenario of the 40 years uh, which the psalm refers to, and it's the psalm that the writer uses to ram home this point to his hearers. And then just to recap again, the rest is linked with. And identified with God's own rest, God's own fulfillment and joy, which was the goal of creation. So let's think of, uh, go back to creation and uh, the six days of God's activity. Uh, I have them there one, two, three, uh, separating the spaces, uh, spe- separating light from darkness, waters above, waters beneath, waters to one side and waters to the other, and then filling the spaces with the sun and the moon filling the sky with birds, the sea with fish, and uh, the land with uh, animals and people. Six uh, days of creation there, God's six days. And, click, click, the seventh day of rest, Uh, Shabbat, the rest of God, day seven. Now day seven is an unending day, There's uh, there's no marker to end it unlike the other days. And it is this day of unending rest that is God's goal for creation. He made it so that he could enjoy it and um, be triumphant in it. And I I invite us to think of what this means uh, for God as he rests, his own joy in what he's done, his own satisfaction at how good it is, uh, his own bliss, if you like, his own triumph, his own glory, his own exaltation, uh, the, the perfection of this state, uh, and, and God's happiness uh, at this, uh, in, on this day of rest that he has won. And that is the goal of creation, that uh, the, this uh, seventh unending blissful day. And as I tried to explain last week, it's this That the writer calls us to linking this rest with the the land of rest. This is what the salvation promise calls us to. In other words, for us to enter into God's joy and his satisfaction, to enter into the divine bliss, to enter into the divine triumph, to enter into the glory that God um, dwells in to enter into that state of exaltation and perfection and happiness. Uh, and this is the rest that is on offer to us. And no wonder, um, having sort of primed our imaginations with such a glorious prospect, the writer says, don't fail to enter that rest. So that is my little recap. And uh, the recap... Uh, just makes this point. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. They hardened their hearts. They did not enter God's rest. Do not harden your heart. So having had had that uh, recap, we'll uh, sing or have sung to us. I think I recognize the voice of the singer. The reading says, do not harden your hearts. And the song expresses this plea, Never let our hearts grow cold, never let us go. So we're going to sing, Abba, Father, may we be yours and yours alone. Having uh, taken a little break, let's look again at uh, the general layout of these chapters and see what lessons we can learn from them. And i got four lessons, he said confidently, I think it is four. So, uh, number one, the promise. Let's learn this, that the promise is future rest. And this isn't a bit of the promise. This isn't um, a, a sort of... Uh, marginal, optional, uh, s- backwater of salvation, this is the promise of the gospel. This is the mainspring of salvation. It is the promise of rest, meaning to say of being at peace, being in health, being enriched, being secure, being at home, being happy, being with everybody that we love, being with God. All of those things, but not now. It is for the eternal future. Uh, This life is not our aim. It is the world to come that is is our aim. It is for the eternal future. That's the rest, and that's why the promise still stands. And we'll enter that rest either when the Lord comes again or when uh, when we die and go to be with him and await the day of resurrection and all things being made new. And uh, that ought to reinterpret for us what death is. Death is not a disappointment and a failure and a tragedy and a loss, although it it, it seems like that to us at this end of things, but that's not really how it is. Death is a tremendous victory. Death is like a runner passing, crossing the finishing line and going, yes, done it. Um, death is not a disappointment but a triumph. And uh, really, trumpets should sound uh, at Christian funerals in a sense because they certainly sound in heaven. Um, one more sinner safely across the desert and arrived home. Trumpets should sound, we should fix our eyes ahead. And as it says, let's fix our eyes on Jesus who's gone before us, the author and perfecter of our faith. So here's lesson number one uh, the promise is future rest. Number two, now I've got that little picture, the uh, black line depicting the 40 years from beginning to end has got a bit thick, but you don't mind that, do you? So lesson number two, the days. These days are the last days. If you're interested, the word in Greek for last is eschatos, and it uh, is going to crop up here in a moment. What days are we in? Answer, we're in the last days. He says that, Hebrews 1 verse 1. (coughs) Uh, In these last days in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Now these days are like the wandering in the desert on the way to the promised land, where that uh, black bar represents from leaving Egypt to entering the promised land. That is what our days are like between Christ's ascension, our days between Christ's ascension into heaven and his final return. These are the last days. That's what it says. In these last days. And this is really an argument to say there are no further complex stages. This is it. Uh, I, I know there are complex uh, eschatological patterns about the tribulation and um, the last days, the all sorts of things like that. But actually, as the Bible puts it, it's much simpler. These are the last days. The next big event is Christ's return, and then it'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, So we don't need need to make it any more complex than that. These are the last days. And I learnt a word when I was studying this. I don't know whether you want to learn it with me. Deescatologisation, meaning um, taking away that idea of lastness for these days. In other words, forgetting that we are awaiting Christ in the last days. And the chap who used that word said it is one of the problems that we have, that we are, we forget we're in the last days and we think, oh, these days are going to go on forever. Um, this is more or less heaven as we are now. Um, and the New Testament has this strong sense that we are in the last days and the next big event is Christ's coming. Now that's not to say that the New Testament expects that he, he will come uh, tomorrow and that the New Testament writers were disappointed when Christ didn't return and hasn't returned. That, that really isn't the point. These are last days and whether they, whether Christ comes tomorrow or whether he waits another thousand years, it doesn't alter the fact that these are the last days and we need to live with a consciousness that these are the last days. And uh, Jesus gave a specific warning about this, didn't he? He said, keep watch. You don't know whether, when your Lord will come. These are not days for thinking, oh, he won't come for a long, long time. It's not really the last days. Lots of things are going to happen yet. Um, no, these are the last days, and we should live as if we are in the last days. Knowing the times is an important component of wisdom. And we are to know what these days are. They are the last days. And they are days not to forget, but to keep on and to keep travelling to the city. Because um, that's what we're supposed to do in this period of time. Third lesson. Trials. So we've, uh, we've looked at the promise, the days... And the trials. And this teaches us that the trials and tests are unavoidable. Our present situation is like the wandering in the desert. And the desert was the place of trials, testings, and temptations. There was the trial of thirst, you remember? Uh, Will God provide what we absolutely need? We face those similar trials uh, now in the sense we're facing them as a church aren't we will God provide for future ministry Uh, and the 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 trial is like that and the challenge is like that to trust God that he does know what we need and won't let us down Uh, challenges of, of guidance in the desert where on earth are we and perhaps even sometimes where is God Uh, but the challenge to believe that crossing the desert, God has this under control, and he will lead and he will provide. The challenge for courage, you know, when they got to the border, oh, this is too difficult for us, we'll never manage this, Uh, there are giants in the land. Uh, And the challenge to believe God's promises over against and in opposition to Uh, That view which would say, oh, the human um, objections are too strong and God can't deal with this. We need courage not to give in to fear. And what the implication of this is that this truth, this is rather an uncomfortable truth. Perhaps we have to shift our thinking a bit to accommodate this. But a major part of our experience here is temptation and trial we're not in heaven yet, we shouldn't imagine we are, we shouldn't pretend we are, and we shouldn't be surprised by experiences that prove we're not in heaven yet. A major part of our experience here is temptation and trial. There is no believer who is not exposed to temptations that would send them to hell. There is no believer who is not exposed to temptations that would send him or her, I've written the, meaning them, to hell. That's how serious our situation is in this world as we seek to enter his rest. And uh, fourthly, so I've done an arrow between heaven and earth there. Fourthly, a lesson about the Saviour. The Saviour who has precious help. And it's only when we realise the um, severity of the situation that we're actually in that we value the provision of the great high priest. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Um, that's what I just read, for 14 to 16. As we cross the desert, as we face temptations help is at hand, uh, and real help is at hand, powerful help is at hand. And who is going to say they're not going to be bothered to ask for it? Gosh, we certainly need it, don't we? Uh, who will not be somebody who is praying? Um, as, we, as we're as we in our time of need, and, and, and how many days are our time of need? Answer every single day. We're encouraged that our high priest understands our situation. He understands us and he's not ashamed of us. Though we might be of ourselves, we might say, oh, again, I need help again on this. Surely I feel so awful about this. Surely the Lord won't be bothered with me. But he will. And it says here, he is not unable to sympathise with our weaknesses. So let's approach the throne of grace Let's not be put off from asking uh, at the throne of grace. And it is a throne. He sits on the throne. It's a place of omnipotence and omnipotence at our disposal. Lord, I need enormous help. Well, you ask, you need it, you can have it. Enormous help. And let us approach this gracious throne so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Brothers and sisters, that's the only way we're going to get across the desert. That's the only way we're going to enter into this rest. And as we make all diligence not to, let's, let's not fail to get the help that we need, because we certainly need it. Those are the lessons. Let's just recap. Number one, the promise. The promise is a promise of rest. And it still stands, and that is the promise that runs the Christian life. Number two, about the days. The days are the last days. We are in the uh, f- you know, the final eschatological home run here. This These are the last days. Number three, the trials that accompany the last days. The trials that characterize crossing the desert. Days of testing and temptation. Those are the days that we're in. This is the situation that we're in. The trials are unavoidable. Uh, These days are marked by trials and testing. We should not be surprised at that. And fourthly, the Saviour is so precious, isn't he? That he is in heaven for us. That he is listening out for our prayer. That as we pray, he will not hesitate to send us the help that we need at the time that we need it because uh, he he he's bringing us to heaven so let's be people uh, to, who who call on the one who stands ready to help us from heaven against our sore temptations yeah we face sore meaning extreme temptations and if we're not sorely tempted today uh, we we certainly will be one day And we are tempted uh, by the world and the flesh and the devil. But he helps us against those. And he helps us from ourselves. Sometimes we're our own worst enemies. But he can help us because he is in heaven for us. So um, here's my final point. Uh, This is a tremendous encouragement to live every day in prayer, isn't it? Uh, Let's come to his gracious throne and as it's called today, let's be asking him today and receiving help today so that we may enter his rest. Amen. Well, we've heard God's word and as we close, we ask God's blessing in the word's Uh, that the writers of the Hebrews ends his letter with. When we've uh, closed down, uh, we'll sing out with, or play out with, the song He Will Hold Me Fast. It's number 1219 on the uh, Praise website. Uh, This uh, song, it doesn't quite express the challenge, but it does express the bottom line. Not so much expressing the warning as the reassurance. In all our weakness, uh, in all our trials, we have the help uh, by which he will hold us fast. He will bring us safe to glory. Uh, And this is the bottom line for God's elect. After all the promises and warnings, he'll bring us there. Uh, He will hold me fast. So that's what we'll sing in a moment. Let's have our closing prayer. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our lord jesus that great shepherd of the sheep equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through jesus christ to whom be glory for ever and ever amen amen until we meet him or until we see him face to face it's goodbye from me and God bless each and every one. Bye-bye.